when you're dealing with analytics, you're dealing with 20 million channels. And then you have to like abide by YouTube's API uh, process, which is like, you can't, you know, you can only show like 18 months of data. So beyond that, like, you know, having a provision in, in different places so that it is, um, uh, you know, it is stored, but not accessible, right? And then at some point it's deleted. All right, we're live. I got Ajoy Thomas here, uh, CEO uh, of Video Amigo. You're also a part of Touchstorm as well, which is another, uh, I think, sister company to Video Amigo. Uh, just quick stats for you guys. So you analyze 26 million YouTube channels and 2.2 billion videos on a daily basis. So I kind of want to know what your AWS bill looks like. But uh you know, you guys were OGs in the uh, the influencer and, uh, you know, like the creator space, uh, early days of YouTube. So let's just dive right in, Joy. Like, what what are you guys doing? Tell, tell me the yeah, story. Yeah, but, but before we dive in, I have to tell you, we are both fans of MFM, and I got to congratulate you. You got, you nailed something that they did not. You have a great podcast name. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> right. So like uh, 200 episodes later, you don't have to worry about rebranding like what my first million is trying to do right like, yeah yeah yeah, yeah I, uh, so a guy spence uh on our team came up with the name because he's like he's known for the snarkiest comments in our slack channel uh -huh. so uh when i was coming up with this podcast and trying to come up with a name for it uh I, I, I went to spence i was like all right you got the snarkiest craziest ideas so just what is a ridiculous podcast name and he just within on slack like within two seconds writes back cash flow cash flow right right <laughs> and like you know tip your hat to the business side of things and the technical side of things so exactly yeah, yeah that, that was what i was going for exactly yeah it's the perfect name like with mfm i almost have to like apologize every time i share the episodes like excuse the name it's kind of cringe <laughs> i know but yeah. but yeah you nailed it you nailed the branding side of things so congrats there yeah thanks awesome. man thanks all right, let's yeah. dive into your story. Tell, tell me what- Yeah, uh... yeah. Thanks for having me. Uh, yes. So I joined Touchstorm 15 years ago and we are a YouTube agency. So like you mentioned, there, there's two companies. There is the agency side of the business and then there is Video Amigo, which is the SaaS and the platform side of the business. So I am the CEO of Video Amigo and I work as a CTO on Touchstorm, like on a, you know, a daily operations and things of that nature. So yeah, what we do is we analyze, like you mentioned, uh, over 2 billion videos. So analytics for them. So for video, it's like the number of likes, the number of views, keeping track of that and over 22 million um, channels. So that's like the number of subscribers that are there for that channel. Is it growing and things of that nature? So really what v Video Amigo does is like three things. So uh, you can use the platform in order to understand your own YouTube analytics, you know? Uh, so it's like YouTube Studio on steroids. So um, you can, you know, YouTube Studio, you can go go there and then figure out the number of subscribers, who your demographics are, like, you know, are you growing? What is the watch time? All those things. But on Video Amigo, it also tells you what is the greatest potential for your channel? Where are the areas of improvement? What is the thing that you should be paying attention to and trying to increase that, right? So that's number one. The second thing is competitive data. So because we have all these channels and the public data, you can look at your competitors and look at 
what did they do last week? You know, did they grow their subscriber base? Uh, what videos are they coming up with? What's the length of that video? Things of that nature. So all that data is available there as well. And then the third thing is benchmarking. So one of our USP is not just taking in all this data, but we have a taxonomy. We have this thing called themes, conversation, topics, um, and categories. So if you're a podcaster, like, you know, based in Philadelphia, you get like that, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a hierarchy of, of that taxon, it's a nested taxonomy. So you know exactly where you stack up against other people. And that helps with benchmarking. So people who are in research and like, you know, data analytics side of things, they want to know, oh, I am in the 25th percentile when it comes to podcasting and in the tech side of things. So it really is a platform for now for brands to figure out who are the right influencers they should be targeting or figuring out where they stand, uh, what their strategy should be, what are they missing out, both looking back and looking forward, what are the trends? So so those are the three main core of Video Amigo and what we do, yeah. Cool, yeah, so I'm thinking about it like in terms of SEO tools, like uh, a SEMrush or a Hrefs or something, kind of like you, you guys are just out there just beating YouTube up with bots all day, trying to like suck in everything you can find and then yeah. send that back yeah, to exactly. users. Yes. So when we started out 15 years ago, there was no such thing as video SEO, you know? And so when we started out, we had our own channel and that was called Houdini, which was how to do anything. Uh, and this was like, you know, we competed against like how casts of the world. And so what that did was it, there was no user generated content and it was, uh, you know, uh, videos on uh, by experts, you know, so how to tie a tie. Uh, to how to bake a cake, you know, things of that nature. So when we built like about like, we had about thousand videos there, we learned quite a bit about YouTube and then figured out, man, we should really be pivoting towards YouTube side of things. So we put the whole library to YouTube and 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 kind of nailed that SEO side of things for video. And then learnings from there, we imported that to brands, you know? So when brands would come in and ask like, hey, we want to do something on YouTube, like, you know, we know it's not TV, so it's not like a 30 second ad, like long form content. What are the, what are the videos we should come up with? So for, for example, like Pantene would come up, come to us. It's like, how about we come up with how to get curly hair? Like we do a video on that. How about that? And then, then we would go back and do like what is now common keyword research and figure out the white space and figure out what are people searching for, for which there is no video. Right. And then we are like, yes, it is that topic, but it's how to get curly hair like Taylor Swift, because that's what people are searching for, but there is no video for it. And so now you have this video content that's like pre-wired for success, right? Because when you put it on Google, how to get curly hair like Taylor Swift, the, the video gets promoted as well. And this was back when, you know, YouTube, Google had just acquired YouTube and they were, we were going through this process of just learning how, how the algorithms work. And from there, Pantene is right there, right? Like, and it's, we walk that line between editorial and advertorial so that it's not like Pantene in your face. It's like, let me teach you how to get curly hair like Taylor Swift. And somewhere in the middle, it's time to shampoo the hair. And then there you go, like Pantene is there. You know, you're you kind of shampooing it. And in the end, you walk away with like, man, I really learned how to do that. And yeah, I should be using Pantene video, you know, shampoo, right? Like it's it's subtle. Um, and so it's it's not even like product placement. It's like the whole thing is 
carefully orchestrated, right? And so we took that whole discipline and kind of do this for brands um, and turned that into like a YouTube agency. And when you are doing like a YouTube agency, um, anyone can say, oh yeah, we too do YouTube, right? Like, so how are you going to differentiate yourself? So one of the things that we say at Touchstorm is like every decision is really backed by data. And so if that is the case, you need data. So that's why Video Amigo was born. We were like, okay, we got to analyze all the video, as much videos as we can humanly possible. And you have to mine it, right? Because YouTube doesn't give you all the channels. You have to discover channels on your own and then figure out how to get the analytics for it. So it is a long, arduous process, but we did it. And it has helped quite a bit on the agency side as well, because every every advice that we give, it's backed by data. You know, it's like, you know, at a category level, this is what we are seeing and this is what you should be doing, you know, whatever the problems are on the agency side. Um, and the other thing is like the, the, the plan is like people come to the Video Amigo side, use the platform. If they have an in-house agency, if they have in-house people dealing with YouTube, and if it gets too much, they can always use TouchStorm, you know? So we have a saying like, come for the tools, stay for the channel management, you know? <laughs> nice. Come for the channel yeah. management, stay for the strategy. So even the brands that work with us, it's not really about uploading videos and things of like that. They want that strategic advice, like, you know, what is the next thing we should be doing? What's the next trend that's there? What makes sense for us? Um, and those are the things, if you're truly like a data nerd, you have those insights and you can kind of, you know, give that to to the brands. Yeah. Cool. There's a couple of threads I want to go down there. But first, I'm curious, uh, does YouTube, is YouTube like bot friendly? Or do you have to do like proxies and IP rotations and stuff like that? Or are they just like, is it kind of how websites are with Google bot? And they just say, come, come crawl it, you know, we want you to crawl it kind of thing. Yeah, great question. Um, it's not bought like, you know, so we are like YouTube partners. So you have to adhere to their API. So all the data that we get, it's straight from the API. Oh, so you're actually integrating through an API to YouTube. Exactly. Interesting. Okay. Exactly. Right. Like, so then comes the question of like, how do you discover that a channel, like, how do you know that this channel even exists? And for that, you have to like, you know, get the comments and then figure out there's like a whole process in figuring out the channel. But once you give a channel key as an input, the output would be like whatever your request. Yeah, and architecturally, you have to like store all that data. Like you have to like you have like an index of channels and then you know that like what channels are. All right. That's interesting. Uh, yeah. And from there, like who else subscribe to this channel and from there kind of like go go out from there. So, yeah, every cool. day that database keeps growing. Like today, it's 25 million channel. And then like tomorrow it's 2.2 and then kind of keeps going from there. Yeah. You use AWS for your cloud yes. services. What's your AWS bill? It is crazy. We, As a matter of fact, we are right now in the process of optimizing it so that we can bring it down. Right now, it's about 40K a month. It's not like we have like optimized it as much as possible. It's less than I thought you were going to say. Yeah, it was going to be like something <laughs> insane, right? Like, um, But see, that's the thing, right? Like when you're dealing with analytics, you're dealing with, 20 million channels. And then you have to like abide by YouTube's API uh, process, which is like, you can't, you know, you can only show like 18 months of data. So beyond that, like, you know, having a provision in, in different places so that it is, um, uh, you know, it is stored, but not accessible, right? And then at some point it's deleted. You so, can't so show more than 18 months of data in your platform, that's a YouTube policy? Yeah, the, like the open API policy is it's it's 18, 
it's 18 months. But, but but in your platform though, like you you're you're like downloading the data and indexing it in your own database. Can you show more than that? Or they say like, no, you're not allowed to show more than 18, even though you got it and you can like archive it. Yes. Store it. So yeah, yes, you can. You can synthesize it. And as long as you have clients, like you know, there's like provisions for that. Like what you can do, cannot do from a privacy standpoint, what you can and cannot do. So publicly, what you are allowed to show. And then for certain use cases, we have like, you know, because we are grandfathered in into the API, like we have there are certain policies that are like imparted to us where, you know, we are allowed to show or synthesize the data so that you can say for this category, this is this is the trend line, you know, so that there is no uh, issues with privacy and things of that nature. I want to take a quick break from the episode and say, if you're enjoying this content, the best way you can say thank you is to subscribe. So if you're on YouTube, hit the subscribe button and the notification bell. And if you're on one of the podcast platforms, hit the subscribe button there as well. And also share it out to your friends and colleagues. If you find this content useful and you think other people will enjoy it as well, please send it out. And back to the episode. All right, let's like cross over brain hemispheres now. Uh, so we'll get out of the tech talk. And uh, so you guys are doing all this like channel management and content creation and like creative stuff for uh, for brands. Uh, have you ever done any channels or like done any of your own content strategies? And like, have you guys ever, you know, maybe created your own uh, brands or anything or? Yeah. So uh, when we started out, that was Houdini. That was our own brand. It was like the, the, all right. So the, the how to tie a tie thing, that was yours. Yeah, yeah. So it had like about more than thousand videos there. So we learned all the stuff there, and even and that channel is still up. It has like a over seven hundred k subscribers still. You don't you know? maintain it anymore. It's just kind of um, like we legacy haven't or... upload, We haven't uploaded a new video in a while. You know, so but that's where we do all the experiments, like from thumbnail analysis to like you know. Uh, so we wouldn't do that on a client channel yeah well, let's see like is it just because you're making more money like through the SaaS and through the agency or why 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 uh stop doing your Houdini uh product yeah th- that's a good question I think like it was really the focus was like on 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 taking care of the brand channels and like doing the SaaS model and then using Houdini really for experimentation and then figuring out what works and what doesn't work as opposed to the core of Houdini, which is like coming up with the next set of how how to videos, you know, but we did learn these are like evergreen videos. And yeah, it still it still makes money, you know? Uh, and so, so yeah, I think like at some point we just decided not to get in that, the whole content game, but it has served us quite well there. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense, like how to tie a tie. Like there definitely was probably a couple of years where there was a white space where you could just own that category. Uh, yeah. But now I, I feel like, you know, it's pretty much everything's flooded. Like there's no new like content. There's no white space in content anymore. It's that's what you would think, right? But that's the beauty of the internet. There is niches with the niches and like, you know, you'd be surprised, right? There's always white space. All right, so pitch one at me. Like what's what's one that's like uh, like something recently that you discovered and you're like, holy shit, this is still available. Uh, I think like everything under AI, I feel like there is so much unknown there. I see like new things coming up. So anytime like you synthesize large amounts of data, and then you're educating someone, there is always, there's always like an appetite for that, you know? So right now, be it um, 
large language models. Like there are there are people who are coming up on top as experts on that. And that's not just like at the surface level. When you're dealing with videos, you really have to prove it out, right? Like these are the experiments I'm doing. You know, uh, this is what I learned. And every day it keeps on changing, right? Uh, what's that, Langchain? Uh, that's like another, like, you know, people are curious about it. But really- Yeah, and auto GPT is like the new thing too. And Exactly, right. Like, so so now I'm seeing like kind of, you know, like people say like with the AI, it's like kind of like the Wild West and it's kind of history repeating itself. Within that, there are niches like with Stable Diffusion. There is this one channel that I'm following every day. He's kind of, it's just breaking news and then his take on the news that broke and applying it in, in creative ways. So he's like a creative person dealing with how does stable diffusion and all these AI models gonna help him? And the YouTube channel really covers it. And, and the viewers also know like this is so brand new. There are no experts in here. Uh, and so within that, you know, uh, uh, I've seen like niches, like so under AI, under that is creative, under that it's filmmaking, under that, or subsequent to that, it's just image creation based on prompts. What is the, you know, and if someone is uh, in design school right now, you know, that is a very interesting topic for them. Doesn't matter where you are in the world, right? So so new uh, topics that emerges, I see like always this microcosm within that. And, you know, the pie keeps growing is what I've learned. Like it never gets concentrated, you know, uh, be it in ASMR, like that was a trend, like who would have thought, <laughs> right? And like within that, um, you can apply that everywhere. Like, does your brand makes a sound? Like I saw something with vacuum cleaners, like this ASMR vacuum cleaners, right? So anytime you stack these things, like- If, you, if you want, we can do like a, a five minute segment where we just get really close to our mics and, and then we just whisper to each other. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know how an Indian accent is comforting to people, but- <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, that's so funny. All right, so I was thinking about doing this one where uh, where basically like anytime it's the Super Bowl or like the Oscars, I just have a graphic designer and a Facebook ads person on the ready. So as soon as Will Smith slaps somebody or Janet Jackson's boob pops out, uh -huh. like we got T-shirts and mugs already on Facebook instantly. Right, right, and, uh, right. and it's it's cranking on ads, you know? Right, right. <laughs> and you know, like brands are doing that, right? Like there is a control center like when was that? Like when the Super Bowl, the lights went out. You know, the brands that reacted to it, like I think Oreo did an ad, like Dunkin' in the Dark or something like that, and that got like crazy. Like you know, it, it takes a little bit of right place, right time, and that creative mind kind of thinking about okay, the lights went out. Like what can we do? Thirty minutes of like just silence, right? And then brands kind of like getting on top of it, and and we have seen that with brands as well. Like they have like a social media you know, just keeping an eye on trends and figuring out when to take the right risks and then jumping on, jumping on it, you know? So, yeah. That's yeah. cool. That's cool. Yeah. All right. Um, so, uh, I, so we, one of the things we were talking about earlier today was about the different types of brands that influencers and this kind of YouTube strategy is good for versus which ones it's not. Uh, so I, I want to hear about that. Uh, I want to hear a little bit about that. There's also like, there's there's a weird YouTube landscape too. There's there's a lot of like brand content. There's all these like 
crazy YouTube people like uh, the Whistle and Diesel guy or like Mr. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Beast, like these ridiculous channels, man. Like some of this stuff people are making. Yeah, uh, I think someone just crashed a plane or something on on YouTube and got arrested. Yeah. They were, you know, okay. like there's just stupid stuff happening on YouTube. So I, I want to hear like, I think they're just monetizing mostly through the ads, uh, probably, yeah. right. uh, which I assume is probably what you did with your your tie, your how to tie a tie strategy. I don't know if you like somehow affiliate marketed that, but then also on the brand side, like what brands should be doing this stuff, and which ones yeah. shouldn't be doing it. Or shouldn't be doing it. I think like a good rule of thumb is that if if you're a brand where every word that comes out of someone <laughs> that mentions your brand needs a lawyer or needs like a second second uh, like a legal team to kind of look at it, then maybe maybe it's not a good fit. You know, so when you are working with influencers, you have to give them that creative space to do their thing. Right. A lot of the times you see like uh, it's just just not the right match. Right. Like where there is a brand, there is a product and the influencer is is just like round hole, square peg kind of a thing. Uh, So. And also they have to be as authentic as possible. Right. Like if if they have a if influencers, they have a voice. Right. I've seen like Conan O'Brien doing this really well. Like he has this podcast, Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, and he does this reads, right? The ad That's a good name. Yeah. That's a um, good podcast name. It is, it is. Yeah, because that's what it is at the end of the day, right? Like you're <laughs> expanding your network. We're just having a conversation. Yeah, did a good job. Not my first million. <laughs> uh, but, um, but yeah, that's like, I thought like it was pretty authentic. Like in terms of, I saw a read for McDonald's. And then it was T-Mobile, you know, the way he would do it with his little comedic thing. I could tell like it might be scripted, but not really. It's like the three of them kind of doing it. But in that particular case, and it might like sometimes kind of veer off as well, right? And maybe that's something that the legal team at McDonald's might not really care for it. But you got to you gotta be okay with that. If you're not okay with that, then, then you know, maybe influencers... Is not the way to go, you know, um, and, and and you kind of see that uh, when it doesn't work, like you know, you can tell it's um, it's kind of like a script is kind of handed out to the influencers and like yeah. you're trying to. Trying to, trying it's to also do. though like influencers though it's kind of like a way to not have to worry about that right because if you uh hands if you hand off the creativity off to somebody else they're not necessarily they're not like directly your brand so if they. Exactly. I guess they could offend people and then that's, you know, that's kind of the risk you, you have like having your brand associated with something offensive, but. uh... Yeah. Yeah. And as a brand, you have to like, look at a few things, right? Like it used to be that, well, this particular influencer has this audience, let's just transact. And then that's it. Well, brands do need to pay attention to a few things. Like one is, can this person be a brand ambassador, you know, as opposed to this one time thing, like how do, how do we have a, relationship with them. One of our clients, Peak Auto, is doing a really good job with that when it comes to cars, just dealing with car influencers and just giving them the creative voice. And also, it's a long-term play, right? Like where you are trying to figure that out. And when you're trying to figure that out, you also have to ask a few other questions. Like, hey, if this is the brand you're going with, you know, that means that you cannot be talking about the competition, right? 
So, so it, it is like safety on both sides then. Like then you are really like the person. Like one one day you are the sprint guy, you cannot be the Verizon guy the next day, right? Like, yeah. Uh so 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 there that is an aspect that you have to kind of look at. And in terms of measurement too, like you know, you have to look at views, right? Like once you have nailed down the demographics and you figure out the audience for an influence is the right reach. Then, then focusing on the views and then figuring out, okay, you know, what is expected out of out of this campaign? Because usually, when it's branded content, it might be less than what they normally do, uh, and then being realistic there. So, um, so yeah, there is uh, there are quite a few things that you can do, and then also benchmarking, right? Like in this category, we know this is the retention there. And that's something that Videomico platform has as well, which is like, if you are dealing with a particular category, what is the expectation? What's the lay of the land? What, uh, you know, uh, who are the influencers that we should be going after? Um, you know, usually brands don't want to work with the superstars. Like, you know, there is this quintile, right? Like the first 20% of, 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 uh, of influencers that has access to 20% of the audience and then so on and so forth. Uh, they want the up and comers, right? Like the they are about to take off. So when you are, when you have data, you can analyze that. You can like figure out given the pace of this particular creator, it is, we know where this person is going to be in six months, you know? And then you can kind of do that matching. You can be like this person is on the, in the car, in the automotive category, like Toyota is one of our clients. So it's like, these are the influencers that is about to take off and it makes sense for them to collaborate with the Toyota. Um, and then the, and the, and you know, it needs to be the whole thing, right? Like, and then from there, figure out what is the right topic that they should be coming up with and feeding that back to the influencers. Uh, and then that goes back to the whole white space thing, right? Like uh, it's based on data, like what people are looking for. And then, you know, that kind of helps the whole thing. And from there, the actual production of it. Uh, and then, you know, seeing how paid kind of helps with organic as well. You know, they are really two sides of the of the same coin, like, have, you know, utilizing paid, uh, uh, paid to kind of complement the organic. Uh, views on on YouTube. So so yeah, it's it's a whole science there with influencer. And yeah, you're right. Like with um, people crashing planes. Like I can't believe like the guy did that for views. Uh, and I think he he's gonna go for j go to jail for like twenty years or something. Right? Yeah, yeah, I heard. Yeah, yeah. And that's always part of the thing, right? Like when when this thing grows, there's always gonna be these kind of situations. Um. Regarding the other guy, like, you know, who would take the cars and crash him and stuff. That's just, I guess, like the brand, right? Like you want to have that. You're talking about the whistle and diesel guy? Yeah, the whistle and diesel guy, right. right. He's a goofball, man. He started popping <laughs> up in my feed like six months ago or something. And, and uh, you know, I, I saw him like do the Ferrari thing. It's just so crazy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like, you know, like Sean had that from MFM had that thing, like where he said, it's kind of like WWE, like you are the heel, that's your persona, you've kind of embraced it. And now, you know, there's no going back, you know. <laughs> uh, so it's like part of just like standing out, you know, and sometimes, yeah, yeah you, you, YouTube has both, both end. But as far as brands are concerned, like, you know, a while back, they were concerned about like brand safety and things of that nature. I think like tech has come a long way in identifying which videos are like brand safe in, ter in terms of like running ads, you know? Um, it is as good as it gets because 
whatever niche you are into, YouTube has has like a video for that, you know, or like... Uh, yeah, you were talking about OGs earlier. So there's actually two e-commerce OGs that built their businesses a lot on YouTube here in Philadelphia. Uh, one is Revzilla. They're... Uh, <laughs> They're in, they're in the motorcycle parts space. And then another one is called Turn 5. They're in the like, you know, auto, like the car aftermarket parts space. So they sell like, you know, superchargers and exhaust systems and stuff like that for like Mustangs and Corvettes. Uh, Turn 5 is the same, but for motorcycles, like motorcycle leather gear and like carbon right. fiber, you know, gas tank parts and stuff. And uh, both of them were like really early to the scene in like the early to mid 2000s. And they basically just put out all these, you know, newsletters to all these local people in Philly and said, Hey, if you have a motorcycle or a car, like both of them are, you know, Revzilla is like, if you have a motorcycle and you want a free gas tank installation, just bring it in. Uh And then they would have like, you know, mechanics that, you know, kind of like had a personality do Uh the, do the install on camera. And then they would put the videos on every single one of their e-commerce pages. So they get the SEO boost of the YouTube uh, embed yeah. And they also get like the customers can see like, this is exactly how I install this. This is how it fits my bike. This is what it looks like. This right. is how easy it is to install. And uh, they did that for both of these businesses here in Philly. They're two, two different companies, but they did that same strategy like in the OG days. Uh-huh. And they're right. both just like mega businesses now. Mega businesses. Yeah, 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 yeah. They, they really did understand like as long as you can bring the customers in and then if that activity can go much further than than do it right because that's what it is like the person came in we did this free thing but look at all the eyeballs now that we have right like, yeah yeah kind of uh, smart on. man it's a smart strategy uh it all is, right but yeah. uh changing gears here so you were talking about sean and mfm and you told me you just went to the mfm uh uh what was it called? What was the MFM? Uh, it was like a live live event, right? Live, live podcast or something. Yeah. Right, right. What right. was that? So let's do like, just, uh, I'll do a quick. So MFM is my first million. It's uh, a podcast that uh, Joy and I are both big fans of. And it was actually like one of the things that inspired me to create this podcast, actually. Uh, there's these two uh, these two hosts of MFM. It's Sean and uh, and Sam. And they just like riff off of each other really nicely. Uh, they're kind of like goofy and just say stupid stuff and interesting stuff and funny stuff. So it's it's a good podcast and uh, they've been blowing up. I mean, they're like getting millions of downloads per month now. And, uh, you know, when I first started listening to it, I'd tell people I probably list- started listening to it somewhere around like the hundred, like in the hundreds of uh, episode count, here. Yeah. like 150, 160. And I would, and haven't know, missed an episode since. Right? Yeah. Like 2017 or 18 or whatever. Maybe it was, maybe it oh, was like, that, that was much uh, earlier. Like to me, it was in the, uh, during COVID, like around 2020. Maybe it was like 20. Yeah. Oh, oh wow. It was really that recent. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It was years ago that I started, started listening to it, but, uh, back then I would tell people about it. They'd be like, yeah, I've never heard of it. Now I, when I mention it, probably one, one in three people hasn't heard about it, but you know, I've, obviously the crowd that I'm in is mostly entrepreneurs in the tech industry. So, right, right. but you know, they, they've gotten some reach there in, in the tech, uh, tech entrepreneur space. So, uh, you just went to the live event. I'd love to hear how it was. What, what, you know, what were the quality of the conversations you were having? I saw you sent me a picture with you and Sean together. Right. Uh, right so you, right. you obviously had some chats with Sean, like, give me the full rundown. What was it like? 
Yeah, I, I thought it was great. And by the way, do you go to like a lot of conferences and stuff? I heard the last <clears> podcast, <throat> uh, you had uh, Tyler and you planning on going to LaraCon, right? Like in Tennessee? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Taylor Otwell, uh, creator of Laravel. And uh, that was actually two episodes ago now. That was two episodes uh, ago. By the time this airs, that'll be like four or five episodes ago. <laughs> right. But uh, that was, uh, yes, yeah, so I'll be at the Nashville Laracon this year. Uh, it's it. been virtual for the last like three or four years. So this is like wow. the first year back in a while. But I do go to some conferences. I was just at Philly Tech Week. They have a you know a thing. My my friend is the uh, he was actually the first guest on this podcast. Chris Wink. Uh, he's the CEO of Technically and puts on a really awesome like Philly Tech Week conference. There was like a thousand right. entrepreneurs or something like that there. Right. Uh, a lot mostly in the tech space. But uh, before that, uh, I, I go to some weird conferences sometimes. I was thinking about going to a propane conference. Uh, okay. So just like, you know, I, I, it's like weird stuff. I was looking at. Yeah, I know that that the, totally makes sense. Like you just kind of sometimes have to get out of the bubble too, right? Go to Farmer's Con. Yeah. yeah. Like, just, years and years ago, like 2015, I was going to this thing called, uh, and it, I the last episode was Mike Zani from uh, Predictive Index. Okay. Uh, so this is in his world. I was going to this conference. I did it three years in a row. Uh, it was in Honolulu, uh, Dallas. Or no, it was in Honolulu, uh, Houston. And then, uh, believe it or not, it was in Philly one year. So I went to it when it was yeah. here. But uh, it's called SIOP, Society for Industrial Organizational Psychologists. Gotcha. So it's basically like fancy HR nerd conference uh -huh. kind of thing. <laughs> it's like data science meets HR. So I went to that uh, and I met a lot of really cool people and HR people can party. So it was a good time. Especially that sounds like a good YouTube channel too. See, like there's always white space, man. There's you, anytime you stack <laughs> HR and like some weird stuff. There you go. That's a YouTube channel. But yeah, the reason why I ask is because, yeah, you clearly go to much more conferences than I do. But I hate going to conferences because it's like you go there and it's like, uh, now what? And also, um, you know, like the people on stage, I have like spoken in at least like one conference. It's like the people on stage is like, I am here and you are there. And there's like this demarcation, right? Like I'm yeah. here to teach and like you're here to learn. And so I think the first observation was that everyone that was there at the at the event, it was like we're all equals, right? Like, and I think like the best conversations are when you have nothing to sell and the other person has nothing to sell. We are just talking, right? Like there is no like, oh man, I really want this person to like me or like, you know, no, we're just, what are you up to? You're doing that? I'm up to this. Oh, maybe you should consider this. It's just a conversation, right? Like, so there is no pressure that, so that's, that was like the main thing. Like when you go there, it's like, we are all here from college students to billionaires, or I don't think they were billionaires, but you know, really accomplished people there. But we are well, Andrew Wilkinson was there, wasn't he? Oh yeah, he was. So yeah. There you go. Right, right. He's probably a billionaire, right? Probably, <laughs> like, you know, on paper, right? Um, close so, enough. <laughs> close enough, right. So, so yeah, I think, like, that was my first impression. Like, you know, we are all here. Um, you know, there is no, like, hierarchy. Even, like, people who are on stage, we are all builders and tinkerers. It doesn't matter where you are in the journey. So I thought that was really um, uh, kind of like a difference between, like, you know, going to a to an event like this versus, like, a conference. Uh, where there are clearly speakers and like experts and like you know, um, uh, so 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 there was that, and then, um, yeah, just uh, the other thing is like when you go in there, 
usually when you go to conferences, you don't know, like, you know, the topic, like, you know, if HubSpot has a conference, like, you know what it's going to be, it's inbound and like, it's about marketing. And Dude, stuff I like so that. wanted to go to that this year. And uh-huh. uh, I was in Costa Rica or something, or I was in like, I forget where I was, but I was like traveling somewhere. So I had to miss inbound, but I was like this speaker lineup and it just was like ridiculous. I wanted it to was, go there, it, so was. It, it looked pretty great. Yeah. Uh, but in this case, I mean, it's different, right? It's like everyone that listens to this thing. So it's like the vibe is a little bit different as well. Like it's around these type of content, right? As opposed to marketing, like which is much more broader. And like HubSpot is like the leader in that. Uh, so that was like the the second thing I noticed. It's like, wow, we are all kind of, yeah, we all have our lingo, like no small boy stuff and like, you know, whatever it is. And that's the thing that kind of unites this little weird click, uh, right? Rather than professionals from corporate people coming in. And it was in Austin. So just, it wasn't like, it was just a three hour drive. So yeah, it, that, that was like the, the the main thing that I that I noticed, like, you know, the type of people that came in, they didn't have anything to, or at least the people that I talked to didn't have anything. It was just like, what are you up to? That's super interesting. That's one way of winning. And like, you know, that's another way of winning. What are some to- of like the interesting uh what are like some of the interesting businesses you heard from people there? Like just list off a couple of them or something. One was in MA. Um, and he was thinking of doing um Deal Doula, which came from MF. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, Deal yeah. Doula. <laughs> and I thought, like, dude, you should totally do it because that's something that people need, right? Like uh, an entrepreneur only goes through that. Say say what, what the deal doula is. I remember that from MFM. Yeah. So the whole idea is that if you have a business and if you're about to sell, you're only going to do that maybe once or twice in your lifetime. And on the other side of the table are these M&A guys. They do this all day, every day. Right. So in some ways they have an advantage, right? Like, because that's all they do. And you are really not that prepared to, it's like going to a gunfight with a knife, right? And so a deal doula is like a person who does that and does that personal consultation. It's kind of like a banker, but like really it's like, hey, dude, I know your, your situation. This is a, you know, don't make these 13 mistakes you're about to do, right? Like, and it's like, yeah, it's basically like a banker, but like on a much personal level, like whoever their banker was during their closing, right? Like, And, and the, the, the comparison, like, I think most people probably know what a doula is, but for those who don't, it's for uh, a, a mother that's about to give birth. Yeah. She'll have a doula who's like, kind of like a spiritual or like, you know, some kind of like coach to help the mother through the birthing process. So right. they kind of like team up early in the pregnancy and then their doula is there all on the way. And then the doula is there for the actual like act of giving birth to support Correct. the mom. So the concept that you said, like, you know, entrepreneurs only do this like a couple times in their lifetime. So it's kind of like, you know, a mother giving birth the moms, only does like it. They only give birth yeah. <laughs> a couple right, times. Right, yeah. Right. So it's like breathe that was in, the... breathe out. Right. Like, because so many things that can can go wrong at that time. And, you know, it totally, totally makes sense. There was this one guy who was like contemplating and doing that it was someone else. You know, I think like in the recap, they mentioned it, which was um, someone who was selling parts to fire department and like anything and everything that you can think of. It was a very weird niche, but, uh, did you talk to yeah. that guy? Uh, I did not. So what they did was like, they said, how many people here have a business? Raise your hand. And like, 
how many of them are 10 million or 20 million, 30, and they kept going up. And like whoever was remaining in the end is like, okay, what do you do? And it was like the fire guy. Like I sell parts to fire. It was like, you know, there is business everywhere, right? Like, and that's always inspiring to see like, you know, huh, that's, that's his journey. Good for him, you know? I met a guy uh, years and years ago down in Florida. This was like right when I started my journey as an entrepreneur. And this was like uh-huh. one of like the big like inspirations that really got me interested. But he was like, he looked like a washed up like 80s rocker. Like he had like gray hair, with, like a huge balding spot on the top. And he was like, his hair was down to his nipples. And uh-huh. he was like, you know, he had this massive, like beautiful house down in Tampa, Florida with like, in you know, inside, you know, in, indoor swimming pool and you know, like the is so decked yeah. out, you know, he had a Ferrari works. and a yeah. Lamborghini in his garage. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, what do you do for a living? And he's like, uh-huh. oh, I sell doorknobs to Walmart. <laughs> there you go. Right? <laughs> <laughs> That's it. You don't have to put a dent in the universe, man. Doorknobs for the biggest retailer in the world. Right? <laughs> yeah, that kind of sums it up, right? Like, here we are like racking our brain. <laughs> yeah, uh, totally. Yeah. So, so yeah, it, it was pretty cool. Uh, so yeah, got to, got to see uh, Sean as well. Like, you know, just say hello. And then, yeah, it, it was a good experience. Yep. Yep. And also another thing that came out of it was like, you know, I've been at it for 15 years and I am not social at all in terms of like social media, like putting stuff out there. Like I kind of cringe when I'm like, I don't want to be a thought leader. Dude, really? You, uh, you, you're like an executive at two companies. It's all about brand content, you know, it is supposed to be, do I do it? No, I don't. Right. Like I would rather be in a corner, like working on the product and work with the engineers. And I was really hoping to go on Instagram tonight and like see what you're having for dinner. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Because that's what you would be interested in, right? (laughs) Uh, But yeah, but one thing that came out of the whole thing was like, hey, I don't mind this at all. Like, because it's just like what you are doing, right? I wouldn't mind conversations. I don't want to do this whole performance on LinkedIn and like performance on YouTube or like be on that treadmill, right? Um, but yeah, after 15 years of doing this, it's like, I do enjoy conversation <laughs> and, you know, having a podcast, like, you know, that, that that's like a great way of meeting people. So, so I was like, it kind of opened my eyes before I was like, yeah, I'm in the industry. I kind of know influencers. I, I know that life. I'm all about the data. I appreciate it, but I don't think that's for me, you know? And yeah, you're right. Like, like even our marketing head, she's always like, a joy. You got to be more active on LinkedIn. You got to be more active on Twitter. <laughs> and I'm like, it's just not me, <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah. No, so, I, I'm with you, man. I like the podcast model because it's just what I do best, just hanging out and talking. Yeah. So, right, uh... <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Right. So when did you start your company, Curatech? So I started Curatech in 2010. Uh and then, uh, you know, we've been growing ever since. We, we really started growing a lot. I'd say in like 2017, 2018, we kind of hit this like ramp. And uh, especially since 2020, we've, you know, late 2020, 2021, 2022, we had some explosive growth. We're keeping that going. You know, it slowed down a little bit with the economics. But uh, yeah, we're like just under 100 people. It's like, you know, 80 and some change or something like that. Uh, 
hyper specialized in Laravel and Vue as a you know dev firm. So we just kind of really like focus yeah. in on those ecosystems, and you know we mostly work with like SaaS companies and uh, you know like tech enabled businesses to build build uh, software products. Do you think Laravel is the like how does it compare to Ruby? By the way, we are a Laravel shop too. Like on the video nice. side, it's fully built Laravel. I figured when when you were telling me about your engineers, uh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I used to do Rails personally years and years ago. Uh, I haven't touched it in years. We don't really have many people on the team that work with it. Therefore, we don't have many like clients in that space. Uh, we are starting to expand more into like full stack JavaScript and Python. Okay. Uh, especially Python because we've been doing a lot with AI and like vector databases and data engineering, like data pipelines and stuff like that. So Python's been an expansion area for us. But in terms of like just a really good like MVC framework, I mean Laravel's kind of like you know if if you look at um, if you look at like star history on GitHub, like Laravel just like smoked Rails. Rails, yeah. Uh, and it's uh, you know I think. Um, I mean, Taylor's really kind of done something special. I, I touched on this a lot in the episode with him a few, uh, I think it was episode 30. Uh, he's um, he's really done something special that like most open source communities haven't been able to do, haven't been able to do. Like there's just this like really like loyal fan base, you know, yeah. like Laravel developers love Laravel more than any other framework. Like I've never heard Node developers like love Node oh, as right. much as, uh, you know, Laravel developers love Laravel. So it's kind of... Uh, it's an interesting ecosystem. I think uh, I think he is responsible for reviving PHP and making it, uh, you know, like a cool language again, like a you know a respectable language. And I think uh, I think Laravel still has a you know a lot of uh, you know bright uh, future ahead. Yeah, yeah, I, I agreed, especially like around that 2010, 2011 time, we were like, dude, PHP versus like Rails was already there, right? Like, what one is more like structured versus, you know, PHP got like a bad rap for just like spaghetti. There is potential to do more harm than good there. And people would be like, well, yeah, I mean, early, early PHP. WordPress, you know, yeah, Joomla and like, you know, right. cake PHP and all these things like, That's you know, right. There was a right. uh, Zen's, I think, was like a nightmare to try to figure out. Laravel yeah. has a lot of Zen under the hood, but uh, it, or sorry, uh, Symphony, my bad. Um, but, uh, you know, Zen was uh, like Magento and uh, and it was like, you know, it, it, Magento is built on top of Zen and it's got like a lot of uh, just like trying to trying to build on the Zen framework is like, yeah. you know, it's uh, it's it's like going through a maze. Right, right, right. And he talks about like this, he didn't explicitly say, but like there's always this inflection point, right? Like something happens, something is available, and now you can do something that you couldn't do before. So one of the things that he said was like at PHP 5.3, there were a few things available and Laravel totally took advantage of that. And that's how it, when it started, right? Yeah, like Composer, the package yeah. management. Yeah, that was like the big thing for Laravel. And uh, yeah, what was the other thing he was talking about? Um, like calling functions anonymously or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, anonymous yeah. function calls. Yeah, that was the other thing. Uh, right. Yeah, so there, there, was, there, there were, I think those were, those, those were the two things that kind of opened up Laravel. And then, you know, a lot of other new things came along, like, well, you know, right. traits and all these concepts of like, you know, like PHP becoming like a true object-oriented language. You know, a lot of that yeah. stuff came, came, from came a little later. Yeah, because yeah. like original also, PHP. Yeah, and that's also like a good exercise to do, right? Like what has happened like this year that kind of opens up everything. I think I heard the similar story with Figma. Like when they launched, that was the first time when 
they introduced like WebGL. That was like a new thing. And because of that, he was like, well, this changes everything. I can do design on the web. I can like, you know, create the software Figma right on the browser, right? Um, so, so yeah, companies yeah, yeah. when you have these kind of inflection points, you know, so. Yeah. Well, AI is that right now. AI uh, is that right now, right? I mean, you know, it's fine. Like TensorFlow has been around for a long ass time. And I have a friend who's um, building a, 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 uh, startup in the legal space uh i don't want to say like specifically the specialty because uh, i don't know if he would you know want me to share that part or not but it's like a ai powered tool in the legal space and it's it, like the use case he has for it is very interesting okay and he's been doing it since like 2015 or 2016 gotcha. like basically ever since tensorflow came out he's been uh, building his own models he's been training his own models on his data and it's been getting progressively better and better. But like ever since OpenAI released like GPT-3 and 3.5, it got really good. Like he's like, all right, well, I don't need to train my own models anymore. I'm just going to use GPT-3 because uh, and now GPT-4 because it's like done a lot of the heavy lifting. So now he can just use models like that and then set up like his own Pinecone database and kind of like, you know, fine tune it on top of existing models. And uh, so like this technology has been around a long time. There's been like small hype cycles of AI over the years, but it never really like, never really caught. Caught on like, like right now, right? Because yeah, but it's it's because it's like, it, because consumers can touch it and like see it now as a product. Exactly. Like ChatGPT makes, makes it so consumers can like see and touch it. Right. But uh, I do think there's, I do think it's getting to a point where the maturity of AI is powerful enough that we're going to see a platform revolution. We're going to see, you know, like my company, Kirotech, we were just talking about it. We're already implementing AI for a bunch of clients yeah. and we're like massively changing the way that they do business in some key ways for the clients we've implemented it for. And it's, you know, it's changing the way that they need to, you know, leverage human capital. Like they can redistribute yeah. human capital to other things, right. you know, things that used to take thousands of hours are taking like an hour of compute exactly so, right you know it's and like if you think about it yeah it's the same thing on our end as well um because you have all this data at the end of the day what do you want insights right so there is this thing that we are working on right now which is we just call it from english to insights you know so it's basically asking the question in the legal space what is who is dominating the legal space on youtube that would require you like 20 different filters and 10 different, like, you know, in this category, in this theme, in this conversation and subscriber base more than thousand. And then all those filters and UI can now be just be English, right? Like you can just like say it out loud and like where- And are you, are you like, so are you taking that query and then having like AI do all those filters or are you are you like no doing no actually case? creating the sequel and giving you the answer and charting it right so so now you don't really need the ui with all this filters and things of that nature that will give you the results set. so like the so the query is still happening it's not like you have all this data in a vector correct. database Co so correct. that, that might be right. the next like, advancement that's right. This is the first step. Like, you know, get it to the thing. I just need the answer to this. And then from there, you're right. Like it, it, it can it can just tell you the insights even before you ask. It's like, here are the top 20 things, two new trends that we are like, there's anomalies here, you know, and like insights within certain categories. So yeah, AI is gonna, has like so many applications within every industry, right? Like it's kind of, 
it removes that friction, right? Like from coming up with the question, well, you know, now I have to query it. Sure, now the UI is the interface for those SQL, but still I got to figure out all those things. From there, I have to like synthesize the, the output. And now I have to put that in a chart and now look at it, ponder on it and figure out exactly where the anomalies are or what the insight is and then distill it. So all those like middle steps kind of goes away if you if if you if you can like set this thing up correctly, you know. So yeah, it's it's interesting. Uh, all right, changing <laughs> gears. Uh, TikTok getting banned or not getting banned? Yeah, we are a little bit biased, and like today there was news about Montana, um, you know, banning TikTok starting January twenty twenty fourteen. The bill actually passed, uh, but what that really means is like they are banning. I mean, what is that like? Point zero one percent of uh, <laughs> right, like, but it's it sets a precedence, <laughs> right? Like, it sets a precedence there. Like, well, uh, state did it. Someone's got to do it once. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, it will be interesting to see like what happens there. We have seen like you know, um, uh, there there is there is an audience there for TikTok. But the question always comes down to like, you know, is that really an audience? You know, there are like so many examples of like, like MFM is a good example, like through an event in Austin, 600 people shows up, right? Because they're subscribers, they're, it's long form content. It's, you are, you have built this audience. There are examples where TikTok influencers will throw an event and no one shows up because they thought like, wait, I have millions of views in my, all my TikToks. Where are these people, right? Like, so there is a difference between captive audience, like of YouTube versus like TikTok. And then of course there is the whole- I actually have a uh, story about this. So my wife is writing a, she's writing a book. Uh, I don't know if she wants me to say it or not yet. So I won't say it, but uh, she's, she's about to launch a book and there's like an aspect of helping a lot of people that have a certain need. And uh so she just started doing all this TikTok stuff to try to start like kind of building up her audience. And she's already had a YouTube channel for years, but uh, she started with TikTok and she's been doing content. She had, she had one piece go mini viral that got like, you know, in the tens of thousands of views on TikTok and the other ones are getting like hundreds or thousands of views. Uh-huh. And the one, uh, so she got one person that reached out to her on TikTok and said, I want to talk to you. I need help with this. And, uh, and she got like already in like the first two weeks or whatever, got a lead through TikTok. Yeah. But then she just took all the videos that she pu- published on TikTok and just posted them to YouTube shorts. Uh-huh. And I think like instantly she got one or two leads from YouTube. So it seems like YouTube gets better traction, even with the TikTok logo and the video logo on YouTube. Right, 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 right. Yeah, that really makes you question the audience, right? Like, you know, where are they in the world? And like, just the tar- like YouTube is like the best distribution mechanism because is when you put that on on YouTube, it is surfaced to people that are like, it's made for your audience. You know, if you were in the US, like figuring out who are the watchers of your videos and who is most likely gonna watch it as well, right? It is based on all those profiles. So in that sense, it is a fantastic distribution uh, mechanism, you know, that they have built this moat around. So um, you're saying YouTube. Yeah, you, with YouTube, right. What's right. the count? So if you if you weren't building stuff on the YouTube platform and you were instead doing it on the TikTok platform, what would be your counter argument that you would say why TikTok is better? Um, I think like TikTok would be better for... I think like maybe the 
the demographics, like younger demographics, uh, from what I can tell, right, right, like like the, the Gen Zs of the world are are using it more. So I you heard about Miss Excel, though, right? Say that again. You heard about Miss Excel? Missing Cell. Miss Excel. Mystic Cell. Miss no. like M I S S Excel, like Microsoft Excel. Oh yes, yes, exactly, yes, yes, uh, yeah. She's like killing like a, it on TikTok, a, right? Eight-figure business selling yes. Excel and like PowerPoint courses. Yes, hundred uh, percent. So they talked about her on MFM. I actually heard about her before. One of my other friends told me about her before she was on. Before they talked about her, I don't know if she went on MFM or they were just talking about her. I don't remember. But right. one of my friends told me about her like six months prior to that. And I was digging into her and I couldn't like, I, I was like, this seems like it's blowing up, but, mm-hmm. uh, and I watched the videos and it makes a lot of sense. She's like, you know, she's, she's a, a cute looking woman. Like she's got like yeah. a lot of energy and, you know, she's right. you know, knows how to like, you know, that's right. Bring her I energy. Success the- stories on TikTok, hundred percent. I mean, they wouldn't be a 200 billion plus uh, company if they weren't. Right. Uh, so yeah, yeah. hundred percent. I think, I think of TikTok as like a good, maybe you could, you could get get the word out there, but like, you know, nurture your audience on the YouTube side of things, you know, because that is more long lasting. And, um, you know, the TikTok is just given to you, right? Like you're not s- typically searching for things, even though people do search. It's just like it opens up, it's there. And then you scroll. You're not dictating what is next, right? As opposed to YouTube, you are clicking on that related videos. You are choosing what you want to watch. So, so yeah, on that in that sense, I think like TikTok has perfected that, uh, like, you know, it has figured out the laziness aspect of like, I just want to be entertained. I don't want to, don't, don't make me think. Dude, I don't it, think it's laziness. I think it's like, they figured out like whatever, you know, heroin dealers figured out to get you addicted to heroin. Like they did that in social media form. <laughs> right, right. Somehow like, you know, I mean, the content is pretty, pretty darn, like it's entertaining, right? Like it's, but in the end, I don't know, like I, how you would like view it as like, did I waste my time or was it? Yeah, it was entertaining. <laughs> it was worthwhile. You I know? downloaded TikTok once and like I open it up and I guess like their algorithm says, if you're a guy, then like we're just going to show you like tits and ass, like as soon as you open up the, the app. So I open right. it up. It has the highest scrolled- engagement. I don't know why, but. <laughs> <laughs> I open it up and I scrolled. I tried to get some business content. I eventually did. And then, you know, I think I went, I did it for like 30 minutes and I was like, all right, this is a waste of time. And then I deleted it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, yeah, the funny thing is we are starting to put some clips from from this show on TikTok to see how it does. We've been doing YouTube shorts and they're doing all right, I think. But uh, maybe I'll pick your brain offline about how we can do better on yeah, YouTube. But, absolutely. Uh, yeah, we're, we're playing with YouTube first to try to get good at YouTube. And then, yeah. you know, we'll probably do to like LinkedIn or TikTok second. Yeah, it totally depends on the uh, on the on the brand, on the niche, like, you know, um you have to yeah you have to pick your battles right like and then you get to a point where hey why not all right uh right now it's more of a political situation right like with with the chinese government kind of overseeing this like are you really being patriotic by using tiktok kind of a thing or at least that's yeah you know like i they the like these congressional hearings they don't know what they're talking about they bring in like they bring in tech ceos and they just like beat them up a little bit on, on TV and then, you know, right. on C-SPAN and then it's like nothing really happens. And they've done it to all the American companies. They've done it to like 
Bezos and they've done it to Zuckerberg and they've done it to like the Google guys and I don't know, probably Apple, like Tim Cook or Steve Jobs or whatever. I don't know. I don't know who else, you know, they definitely beat up uh, Bill Gates pretty bad in the eighties. Yeah. Uh, so, um, or maybe it was the nineties. I don't remember, but, uh, you know, so the, the, the whole, uh, idea about like, and they never do anything like they kind of threaten, but then they don't do anything. So it seems like this time, it's like not it's you know it's like you know china china's like the enemy of like enemy. you know economic enemy of america so it okay. seems like this time they're probably going to throw the book at them because yeah. uh you know because like they have to like they have to actually follow through at some point i guess yeah i think like i have seen a change in climate um i watched the when the cambridge analytica scandal like broke out i was there like i was i was listening to the whole facebook like, you know, Mark Zuckerberg going to Congress and like testify. And I was like, my goodness, these people, that's not even the right question, man. Like, you know, <laughs> uh, and, and Mark was like amazing. He was like a little pivot, a little, little uh, turn here. And I'm out, I'm out of jail, right? Like I'm out of this question. I'll get back to you, Senator. And like, it was so like, you know, he handled every single one of them, you know, but now I see a little bit of difference. Like now, like even with AI, right? How many times have we heard about like? No, the, sorry on that last thing. So the example I hear that cracks me up, it's like the the congressional hearing uh, the of uh, you know my, Mark Zuckerberg during the Cambridge Analytica scandal is the equivalent of like when your grandma asks you how to like open up her email, like how come my email icon went away? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, are you the are you the Facebook guy? Like could you help me with the password? <laughs> totally. Like, you know, when I was listening to it, I was like, oh my goodness, like as much coaching and media coaching does you know Mark got. Like I wish, like there was there was some coaching on the other end as well, you know. Dude, I, I've been talking with a bunch of friends of mine. I really want to see, like, in politics, like we have these minimum ages. I think the minimum ages should be the maximum age. I yes. want, like thirty-five to fifty-five. That's the age bracket. That's if you want to be in politics, you got to be in that right. age range. And then after that, you know, you retire. It's over. Right, right. <laughs> I hope um, our eighty-year-old president does something about that. Uh, yeah, you're right. Like, you know, um, and sometimes it's just a knowledge gap, right? Like, and so I do see a change in climate. Like one, I watched the TikTok hearing as well. I thought like they did better than last time around. They were kind of united in this particular front, you know, because it's China. And then also I see the similar thing with AI, right? Like even with tech companies, they are like, no, dude, like safety comes first, you know, like like there is more uh, concern about safety and like, how does this affect, uh, you know, humans and stuff like that. So the same thing goes with TikTok. It's just like the timing now. I feel like, yeah, it, this is a good chance as ever that TikTok might get that, but we'll see what, what gets written out there. We shall see. Uh, Ajoy, anything you want to close on, man, before we uh, cap off our Friday? Yeah, no, nothing else. Check out Video Amigo. Uh, if you are a brand or an agency and if you need YouTube help, we are the OGs uh, on the YouTube side of things. We have a platform. And on the agency side, it's TouchStorm. Uh, this was great chatting with you. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah dude, we riff well. Let's uh, do it again sometime. Absolutely. Absolutely. When you're dealing with analytics, you're dealing with 
20 million channels. And then you have to like abide by YouTube's API uh, process, which is like, you can't, you know, you can only show like 18 months of data. So beyond that, like, you know, having a provision in, in different places so that it is, um, uh, you know, it is stored, but not accessible. Right. And then at some point it's deleted. 